And um, it was great. It was a very, very cool moment for our church. A lot of people experiencing something very new for the first time or re-experiencing it in a different way than they ever had in their, li- in their, their past. And so very, very cool stuff. One of the things you talk about at Ash Wednesday and going, into, and going into this Lent season is, you know, what we talk about is, you know, what, is it, what would it look like for me to give something up, to say no to something that I might be able to say yes to God in another area of my life? And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's not something you, like, tell everybody what you did. I mean, I'm going to tell you what I did, but that's not really, so I'm not bragging about it. It's not that big a deal, but I got to tell you what I'm doing. But you don't tell everybody about it, but you make this decision such that your own life might be oriented toward Jesus a little bit differently during the season. If you want to join us in doing that, great. Here's, the, here's the, the gist of it is everybody has things in their life that they choose willingly all the time, and that part of what you do at Lent is you give something up such that you might identify that none of those things have mastery over you. In other words, the definition of freedom isn't doing whatever you want. It's having no master. And so when we talk about Lent, we say those things that become sort of habits or part of our life that are regular parts of our life, we go, we're not going to do those things just to see what it would be like to live free of those things. And there are withdrawals, and it is hard. So I gave up coffee, which I realized that had power over me. And now all the people around me know how much power it had over me because I have, (laughs) I I am unwieldy. Uh, And so I did that. I also did... um, I also stopped listening to the radio in my car. It like, I like sports radio, talk radio, I, love, I mean, music, whatever. I got to have it on. Even if I don't, I mean, it's just on. And so I was like, I'm, gonna take, I'm just going to, in my car at least, we're going to have no radio, which is, and my, Amanda has adopted that with our kids too. And our kids are like, they're going to explode. They're like, what? We can't hear Taylor Swift in the car. We're going to die. You know, it's like, <laughs> you'll live. And we'll all be thankful for that. But, um, but it is kind of a moment where we go, what does God want to do with, 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 a little bit more of us saying, I'm going to deny ourselves things that may not be bad, but just things that we go, I don't want those things to have mastery over me as we can kind of identify with the suffering of Christ, perhaps in a small way, and orient us toward, toward Easter. So if you want to join us in that, great. Love to have you do that. Um, you know, we don't need to, like I said, we don't need to brag about it, tell everybody, here's what I'm doing, I'm so heroic, like I just told you guys and everybody who listens to the podcast. But the point is that you do it between you and God. If you don't do it, nobody knows. There's no shame in it. Don't lie about it though, but you know, I'm not doing it, you know, but whatever. But I want to invite you guys to be a part of that journey. All right, cool. Cool. All right. Um, we are in a series called Unleash the Impossible. I'm very, very excited about today. Um, this, is a, this is a message I've been thinking about for a long time. It's something I've been wanting to consider for a really long time. And I want to invite you guys to consider this, this week kind of a unique week in this series. It's, we're wrapping it up. We have like one more week after this, which includes Outreach Weekend, and then we'll be done with the series. But Unleash the Impossible is a series that we started a while ago in a leadership conversation that came out of this really sort of what has guided our, our conversation the whole time is this verse right here, John 14, 12. That very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Jesus is speaking these words to his disciples at the Last Supper. And he's telling his disciples, you've seen the stuff I've done for the past couple years we've been together, and there are greater things to be done, and you're going to do them. That's kind of an amazing thing. I mean, they saw Jesus do things like raise a guy from the dead. They saw him heal people who were blind and give, you know, the the deaf hearing. They saw him, um, you know, release people from the captivity of demon possession. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that he did. And he's saying to his disciples, you're going to do even greater things, which kind of frames up the idea of unleashing the impossible. There are things in our life, there are things that we imagine that God might do, but we just go, that's impossible. And Jesus says, there's even greater things than what I did in this ministry that you guys will do as part of my disciples. So the question started forming in us, which is, what would it look like for God not to just do stuff in us and to us, but what would it look like for God to do stuff through us, the impossible kinds of things, through our lives, into the community, and into our world? It's been great, great conversation. A lot of great stuff has come out of it, and I'm um, very excited for today. So let's get into today. We'll, we'll start with prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So let's pray. Father, we have, um, we have a, a number of things. If we just paused, we have a number of things we could be thankful for. We have enough too as well, Father, as we think about this past week. I was at a memorial service this week and thought about there's a, lot of, there's a lot of loss people feel at different times in their lives. There's pain and there's sorrow and there's hurt. And so, Father, we, whether we come aware of those things acutely this week more than other times or whether we're celebrating a life that we've lived this week, Jesus, we want to be people who are um, grateful. And so, Father, for just a moment as we think about this week and we think about whatever our lives might look like, Jesus, whatever... It is that is keeping us from you right now. Would you bring it down? Father, whatever it is that's within us, that's keeping us from each other, would you bring that down as well? So Father, would, as we pause every week, for just a few seconds, some of the only stillness we might have in our lives, 
would you bring to mind those things that need to come down in our lives, things we've either put up in our own lives, things we are presently pursuing, habits, whatever it might be, the secrets within us. Father, would you bring those to mind, that you want, the ones that you want to bring down that separate us from you for just a few moments? Jesus, we anticipate a life of freedom and wholeness. And for a lot of us, we don't really know how to find it well. So restore us back to you. We might live a life without those things that keep us from you. We anticipate great things today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, if you, uh, if you came in, you might you probably got a, a, a bulletin in there as an outline. I'm going to pull that out. There's some stuff we're going to do in that outline. You will need a, a pencil or a pen later on. Um, you know, sometimes you don't have to do that. It's sort of, you know, I know some of you reject the idea of note-taking. If I can't remember what you say, Jeff, then I'm not writing it down kind of thing. I get that, uh, but <laughs> I'm not that clear. So you might want to write some stuff down. Um, but also, if you want to follow along, there'll be stuff on the screen. You'll be able to see what's happening there. Um, so we'll be, we'll start in Luke chapter 23. If you're looking for where we're going to be in the Bible, end up in Hebrews 10, but we're going to bounce around a little bit. Um, just found out, I, I did not realize this today. I had to ask someone, I go in the first service, I go, is today the Oscars? You know, it's like that. And I realize for some of you guys, that's like laugh. That's like your Super Bowl. Like this is the greatest day of the year, you know, people and what they wear and their shoes and their dress or whatever, which I don't get that at all. You know, it's like, it's the, but it is that day. And I, you know, um, someone said, oh, the host is Neil Patrick Harris. And I went, Doogie Howser is the host? Like, oh yeah, Doogie Howser. You know, some of you guys don't know who Doogie Howser was. He was a, anyway, he's a big deal now. Um, but he's leading this thing. And I was thinking uh, this, this, this week, I was thinking about all the movies I saw. I don't, I don't see any movies anymore unless they're animated, really. I mean, I saw the movie Big Hero 6, which I guess is up for an Oscar. Great movie. And um, of course, I, the first two minutes, my son goes, oh, that's the bad guy. And I was like, oh, well, thanks, six-year-old son. That's, you ruined everything. This whole thing's a nightmare, you know? So he tells me right away. He had already seen it. But I, I realized something. When I go to see movies, I am, first of all, I, people always come to me at the door and they go, oh, you're, you're much taller than I thought. Most people, I think, imagine that I'm a short person. I don't know why. That, I must have a short-sounding voice or whatever it is. But people always go, oh, you're way, you're way taller than I thought. Maybe it's because this mic stands high. I don't know. But I, um, most people think I'm probably about 5'8". I'm actually 6'3". I know, shocking, which isn't that tall. But I realized when I'm, in, um, when I'm in a movie theater with little kids, 6'3 is ginormous. <laughs> and I'm sitting in a movie theater with little kids, and the moment I sit down in front of them, it's just, oh, man. <laughs> you, they don't even try to disguise it. And, I mean, I, you don't feel a deeper shame in your life than when a little kid is like, oh, man, right, in your, like, right behind your ear. And you're just like, I'm so sorry. You know, like, and, and for me, I'm... Almost all of my height is above, it's like, it's all torso. My, in fact, my legs are just extension of my, my back. They're just, they're not even legs. <laughs> so I'm all torso. My uh, Amanda, my wife, who's, you know, like about 5'5", five, five, her legs are, are only two inches shorter than mine. And I'm, you know, so just imagine the amount, like there's a lot of torso happening here. And so I'm just torso man. If there could be a superhero, that's what my name would be, torso man. <laughs> he doesn't do anything except block children's view at the movie theater. But I sit down in the theater and you could hear, and, it, and it's not just kids, it's like, you know, they're moms too. So I'm like, oh gosh, could you move, sir? I'm like, where? I mean, there's not, they don't have tall, they don't have torso seating. They don't have, they don't accommodate me. <laughs> and any time, I mean, it's like, I'll give you guys candy. What do you need? I just can't, these are, this is my back, not any of my legs. I mean, I can't do anything about it. But here's what I, I realized is that any moment when what we're trying to get to or see is obstructed, usually we start getting a little bit desperate. Did you guys see this week? I, this is the craziest thing. I was watching on the news. There was a, there was a the tra- like the traffic story, which I never pay attention to the traffic because I'm, you know, it's like, even if it's, I don't even pay, I'd never hear the freeways I care about. And even if they say them, I still manage to miss them. But they're talking about, um, they're talking about this, that a, a helicopter crashed on the freeway and it was blocking the traffic. Did you guys hear this? And I'm like, a helicopter crashed onto the freeway? Like, how awful. They were making, they were so mellow about it. They're like, well, here's what happened. It fell off of a truck. So a helicopter is being driven by a truck and fell off, blocked two or three lanes of the traffic. And it was, traffic was backed up for an incredibly long, and they had no, there's no, there's no tow truck for a helicopter. So it's there forever. And you know what happens when people's traffic path is obstructed? Usually not their best self comes out. You know, it tends to be, I know for you guys, yes, everybody else, everybody else in the world, they are, they are terrible, but us, we're different. 
Uh, but our worst self, we start getting really desperate. We start figuring out, is there a way to get around this? Is there some other solution? So whether we can't see a TV screen or a movie screen, or in some way or another, the path that we intended is somehow blocked, we start figuring out there's got to be another way to live. And I think for a lot of us, the way in which we can even sum up our own life is one in which our life has felt mostly obstructed. That it's felt blocked in some way, that in somehow or another, if we were to try to figure out what our life really looked like, to put sort of a cap on it, what we would say is, well, there's a lot of things that I feel like I wanted to experience in my life. And at the deeper, really, recesses of our soul, there's an obstruction to what our soul really needs, because, and we just haven't seemed to have been able to find it, and it's resulted in some kind of dissatisfaction with our whole life. Our whole life, we feel like something's not quite right. I think in so many ways, when, when there is an obstruction in our lives, we think about we think about all of these things. Like, just think about these obstructions. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. We live lives of obstruction. There's things like this: relationships, habits, secrets, addictions, regrets. We think about the things we wish we would have said, things we wish we could have done. We think about the things that have happened to us that are not our fault that we just endured, and somehow our life has been obstructed from the way it was intended to be. We've just been blockaded. And there is a work that God does in our life. His whole, you could sum up his entire ministry simply by the idea that God wants to do away with the things that obstruct us from the fullest possible life with him. And he would do everything he could to deal with those things. So for us, us regular people who live regular lives in the real world, there's a question we gotta wrestle with, which is this one. What would it look like to live a life that's completely unobstructed? What would it look like to live that kind of, what kind of freedom would that be for us? Most of us have an impression what this might look like, but this literally is, the, there's, a, there's a point at which God's entire ministry in Jesus comes to a focal, a focal point in the same idea. So I think most of us, we start thinking about what it would look to live a life that's completely unobstructed. Most of us have a sense that we're, well, we, we kind of want that, but we're, our, our, our dream for an unobstructed life is actually kind of small. It's actually too small. And Jesus does something that is way bigger than any of us ever imagined. The entirety of Jesus' ministry is about removing the obstruction from our lives to him. Whatever it is that would be between him. And the most critical moment, the way in which that's seen most beautifully and most critically in Jesus' life is at the cross. It's the most bizarre, tragic story and it's the most ironic thing in the world that the way that we would have freedom from the things that block us is by Jesus going to the cross. Now I want to show you just kind of what this looks like. There's this, the, the passage of scripture that describes him on the cross is accounted for in a couple of the gospels. And I want to give you a sense of what this looks like. There's a really bizarre verse in this whole story here. Check this out. Luke 23, 44 through 45. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. Now, whenever you have giant, huge events in the Bible, often they are accompanied by weather phenomenon. Like the whole, the whole cosmos is being affected by something. Now, what you have to know is Jesus is on the cross. He's already been on trial. Obviously, he's here on the cross. There are other people that are on the cross. There's two other people that are being crucified with him. Crucifixion is a, um, is a form of execution that's not even allowed for Roman citizens. It's only for non-Roman citizens who have committed the most awful crimes. And he's out there on the cross. And he's, there's all these details that surround the cross. There's the time of day, obviously. There's other people there. There's who's witnessing it, the trial details, what things people are saying, what things people are doing, how the soldiers are reacting and all this stuff. And then there's this weird detail. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, some of you know what this means. But for a lot of us, if we just pulled that part of verse 45 out and just kind of were like, what does that mean? We'd kind of have a little trouble understanding why it matters at all. And one of the things you learn in sort of basic storytelling and in basic sort of movie plots, whatever else it is, you know that if you cannot, you cannot ever include a detail in whatever the story is, it doesn't matter. So if you include a story or a scene or something else that really doesn't move the plot forward, then you don't have it at all. And yet there's this weird verse, and the, t- and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Continuing on, verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. This is the moment. So right at the moment, Jesus is, is, breathes his last breath. There's this, there's this curtain, evidently, in the temple nearby, which is torn in two. Now, the question, now to, to understand the significance of that particular detail, we have to back up a lot. And it's really important that we do it, because I actually think as you read, as you understand this detail we're about to cover, 
you actually get to read your Bible in a completely different way. It becomes way, way, way more fresh. So I'm going to give you a sense of what that looks like. On your, on your outline, there's a little graphic. I'll show you that in a second. But first century Jewish society is built on an idea, which goes back all the way through their history, which is this. There are, there are reasons and places and necessities for keeping some things and some people separated from each other. In other words, there are holy places and there are less holy places. And there are reasons why, those, why, why certain people can't get into those places. And even bigger than that, there's reasons why certain people can't co-mingle. And so I want to show you what that looks like in the, most, the, most, the clearest way I can. Here's a, here's a graphic. Super hot graphic. I know. I, our graphics team worked really hard on this. That was me. By the way, if you're a graphic artist and you just want to volunteer your time, we always have need to make things then let, like that look better than that. So if you don't want to volunteer your time, help me. All right. Anyway, little side note. That's free. Okay. Let me just walk you through what this looks like. Now, there are even, there are even more rings on, this, on, this, on these concentric circles than I have, than we have space for, but I'll just give you a basic sense. Working from the outside in. The world of the outsiders, this is what you would call the Gentile world or the goyim, if you're familiar with that word. This is where all of that world is. These are people who are, who are not at all connected to God's people. Then again, so this is just geographic. Judea I mean, is sort of the greater, the greater Israel proper. Then you have Jerusalem, the city. The temple, which I subdivided a little bit, which is even more divisions than this, but the temple then is... Uh, the holy place, which is like this inner part of the, of the temple. And then there's the most holy place or the holy of holies, as you might have heard it described. Now, in every one of these areas, in every one of these places, there is something that divides them all. So, you know, if uh, to imagine, just to give you a sense, there's um, in the most holy place and the holiest of holies. This is what, what is in there is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that's the, the Ark of the Covenant. First of all, this is like if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember that thing at the end that melted all those Nazis' faces? That's the ark. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. It's awesome. It's incredibly biblically accurate. I don't know if it is or not. It's just beginning. But in the ark, ark is just a word that means, it just means container. The covenant piece, and you hear the ark of the covenant, is because in that, in that container are the original Ten Commandments that God, that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. So he takes these Ten Commandments, which are often called the law and the covenant, is what, that's his, what Moses' work is, uh, put, in the, put in this ark of the covenant. Now that's placed in the Holy of Holies. Now, what the belief was, was that this is where heaven and earth intersected in the most real way. That God's manifest presence, meaning his presence actually like in a, local, in a location, showed up right there. It was the most holy place. And there's only one person who could go in one time a year. The high priest could go in there one time a year. He'd make sacrifices for the sins of the people in that place. And, the, and so holy was this place that they had to tie a rope around the guy. Because if he fainted or died in there, no one could get him. So they literally, if they wait, is he still, hey, I'm not done yet. You know, I'm just standing still. I mean, he's in there like waiting in there to do, I mean, it's like so serious and so holy is this place. They can't even go in there. So it's just this one guy goes in there once a year. Now, some of you grew up in a, uh, in a place, maybe you, uh, so there's the sacred objects in the sacred space with the sacred person that goes in there one time a year. Now, some of you grew up in a, in a house, show of hands, by the way. How many of you guys grew up in a house where there was at least one room in that house that you were forbidden to go into, not because it was a locked door, just because it was like the living room, like it was the formal area in your house and you were, bit, you were banned from it, show of hands. Yeah, a couple of us had this unbelievably bizarre behavior that our parents, if you, and if you're a parent who does that, just with the, all sincerity, what is wrong with you? Okay, just wanna say it right now. But I, I remember we had this, we had like this, this sacred room. I mean, it was like there was the sacred sofa and the blessed carpet you know, and the, 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 like the, 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 the sort of holy doilies, you know, like whatever they were that were on the coffee table. And it was like, we, we only went in there with, like at Christmas. It was like, okay, everybody take a picture. And then it was like, get out. Everybody get out. Get out. Get out. Our dog knew. Our dog, you could tell that our dog, if she was getting older, she didn't, she just would kind of, I don't know if she just found the permission because she would just kind of, you could just see like where she would lay on the edge between the wood floor and the, this white carpet. You could see kind of like, like a dog imprint there. And it just as she got older, just got further and further into that room. But, you know, if you sat in that room, some of you grew up in this situation, where if you sat in that room, if your mom knew by the butt print in the sofa that you had sat, who was in, who was in the family? Who was in the living room? Who was in the living room? Who was there? Were you guys sitting in there? No, we weren't. I prob- What's this butt print doing here? I mean, it's like they knew. It was so serious. The, like, the lines in the carpet, the vacuum lines had to be in the same direction. If they were not in the same direction, you violated the holy of holies. Now, in all of those rooms, if you grew up in these houses, some of you had friends that had houses like this too. 
There's always some kind of way that you know that you're in that room. There's either a change in the floor, flooring, there's a rug there, there's a change in the paint, there's you know, some kind of laser scope that protects to make sure you don't go in there or whatever, some security system, whatever it might be, but there's some way that you know that you have now entered into a place that is different than all the other places and you better not have dirty feet in it, right? Now, the way in which the holiest, the most holy place in all of the world The holiest place in the entire world was separated was by a curtain. So you have Jesus who dies on on the cross and this curtain in the temple is torn in two. And let me show you what this exactly looks like. So in Exodus 26, God gives his people the instructions on how their mobile worship center called the tabernacle, it's a big tent, ought to look and how the holy of holies ought to be separated out from the rest of the room. It says this, Make a curtain of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim, which are angels, woven into it by a skilled worker. Now, know these things. Anytime you have the color, the color of purple or these kinds of, these are all really exotic color dyes. I mean, it's like, these are really expensive things. These are things people would not have, common people, most likely nobody else would have worn these things at all. These are incredibly expensive materials. Hang it with gold hooks and four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. So you can imagine them. These people, before they have a temple, they just have this mobile worship center. The, te- the, the curtain stays and they go into the, the, the temple as well. Verse 33, hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant law behind the curtain. This is the Ark of the Covenant, right? The, this is where the Indiana Jones, right? You with me? The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. We talked about there's these concentric circles. So you have the holy place where certain things happen and the most holy place, which is separated by the curtain. Put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant law in the most holy place. So what's being said is there is a place now where it is, this, it is set apart as the most holy thing in the entire world. And what separates that most holy place from everything else is a curtain. Now you have to understand this idea It's not just a geographical kind of location-based idea. It's a pervasive cultural phenomenon that transcends not just space, but also people. Now, what that means is God's people were not supposed to get mixed up with unrighteous people. Now, what this means is if people start showing or demonstrating or gaining a reputation that they are not clean, that they have incurred upon themselves some kind of shame, then they get pushed out to a further ring. Does that make sense? So if your family starts gaining a reputation for not being a good or righteous person, then your family and yourself and all the people attached to you get pushed further away from the center. So what happens is if, for instance, if you have, if you have a disease that they can't identify, you get pushed out because you're unclean. If you, if you or someone in your family does something regrettable, you get pushed further out because now you're unclean because there is a universal law that everybody knew in the first century, that everybody lived by, that nobody argued with, which is this. The undeniable universal truth in the first century is this, that unclean things always infect clean things. Always. In other words, it can't go, no, no thing that's dirty ever gets clean because a clean thing touches it. And everybody lived that way. The entire society was built on this idea. So if you contracted an illness, if you got sick, whatever it might be, that you get to move away. And the only people that are around you, should you have a bad reputation... Or should you contract some disease? Are the people that are in exactly the same situation as you? Or you live alone on the margins of society because unclean things always infect clean things. You get the result of this kind of thinking is that people not just simply sort of keep themselves from the unrighteous ones. It also becomes an excuse for a lack of mercy. It becomes an excuse for a lack of helping each other. So there's this upside to this, which is let's make sure we're a holy people, but the downside of it that people begin to start bending it is people who are unclean don't deserve my help. And it gets a little bit more even bizarre because there's a belief that one day God, just to just give you a sense of what this looks like, there's a belief among the religious elite that God one day will show up. He'll deliver his people from their captivity, from the Roman Empire, whatever else it might be. He's going to show up and he's going to deliver these people. That person that's supposed to show up is called the Messiah. Now, when that guy shows up, everybody knew across all spectra of society, everybody knew that the person he's, the people he's going to come for, this Messiah person, the people he's going to come for are going to be the ones who do everything right, the righteous ones. Because that's who God wants to rescue, the righteous people. 
And so you have God show up in the person of Jesus, and Jesus starts speaking with authority and teaching of someone that people never have heard before. He begins to do and enact all these things that seem like he might be this guy, this Messiah. So look what it says in John chapter 1. We get this, we use this verse every year at Christmas. The Word, which is another way of explaining Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the word made his dwelling among us is one word in Greek. It's a word that literally means to form or to make or to establish a tent. In other words, Jesus, God, is tabernacling, making his presence among us. Now, the us is what's really in question here. Because what people in the first century and around the time of Jesus and in his particular world, what they're saying is, The us is a particular kind of us. It's not for you, us. It's for us, us. The righteous ones are the people who God came to be around. Only the ministry of Jesus would fly in the face of that in the most unbelievably shocking way. Because all of the religious power base says we're righteous and we know God came for us and we know he'll come for us. Because Jesus keeps kind of confronting us on stuff, that means he must not be the guy. In fact, they're so infuriated by the people he associates because he keeps associating with people who are unclean. Look at this. It's just a couple of verses here. Matthew 9, 10, and 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many ta- by the way, Matthew's a tax collector. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, this is the religious power base, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Wait, if he's supposed to be such a great teacher, he's getting some stuff wrong here. He's hanging out with all these people that we know are already on the outer rungs of this sort of, of these concentric circles. Why does he do that? Some translations have this right here, this last sentence. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Doesn't he know who he's eating with? Because if he knew, we know he'd find some distance from them because they're making him unclean. Apparent, apparent, that's what's supposed to happen, right? I mean, that's how the whole society's built. The next verse... Matthew eleven nineteen. 19, this is in a conversation with some religious lead again. He says this, the son of man, this is a title Jesus uses for himself often. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The reputation Jesus has, the person who started embodying all of this God's rescuing kind of Messiah stuff, that guy keeps hanging out with these people who are unrighteous. Certainly there must be something wrong with this person. Because everybody knows that God is going to come and rescue people who are the righteous ones. Evidently, what Jesus is working on or doing or whatever his project is involving here is that somehow or another, all the things that were keeping people from God or somehow allowing them to be a part of the religious practice of the community, Jesus was doing away with those things and flying in the face of those things to a a degree that made everybody furious. Why would he do those things? Why would he say those kinds of things? writer of Hebrews sums it up this way in a beautiful way. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Let me stop right there. There is only one person on one time of the year who goes into the most holy place. And now the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, we all get to go into the most holy place. We all get access to the holy of holies. Not just the righteous guy, not just the perfect person, not the one who has fulfilled all the prerequisites to enter first. It's everybody gets to go into the most holy place, into the very presence of God. Whoa. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, which means it's not that all unrighteousness is permitted in the unholy place. It's that God does something that we cannot do for ourselves, which enables that to be the reality. It is in the blood of Jesus. By a new and living, living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. In other words, what Jesus accomplishes on the cross, he becomes for us, the, the author of Hebrews says, becomes for us a curtain by which, which is torn in two, which enables all people regardless of whatever history they might have, regrets, secrets, addictions, habits, whatever it might, there might be there, he gives people access to the most holy place. All those people who lived with, I'm never gonna be good enough, I'm never gonna be able to be, I always will be on the outskirts, in Jesus, everybody gets access to the most holy place 
through his body, which is the curtain. So now you have Jesus on the cross. At the same time, a curtain in the temple is torn. This curtain separating people from the most holy place. All of a sudden, that's open to everyone. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest, which is Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, the things that we're worried about not being worthy enough to go to God, he has dealt with in Jesus. The invitation for every single person on the planet through Jesus is to have unrestricted access to God. And it is he who will deal with those things that are not clean, that are not worked out, that are a little bumpy, that are secret, and that are broken, and he will make them new. And we will enter into the presence of God with boldness. Now, I think the best way, one of the things, I, I, I think as you look at the ministry of Jesus and you look at what God does in Jesus, the best way to sum up what he does is in this phrase right here. What God does, he tears down anything that separates people from him and each other. This is the ministry of Jesus. That is as simply as I could put it. What the author of Hebrews says is the way he tears it down is by himself on the cross. Everything that would have kept people from, the access, from access to God has been dealt with in him. Jesus tears down anything that separates people from him and each other. There are a lot of stories in this room. Many stories. There are stories of pain and there are stories of heartache. There are stories of loss and loneliness. There are stories of fear. There's also stories of overcoming and joy and victory. There's stories of celebration and hope. But so many of us live our lives with an obstruction from what God intends to do. And the most impossible thing we could ever imagine is that we could live without it. This week, our Rooted group, some of you are familiar with Rooted. Rooted is our 10-week experience of learning what it means to walk with God and with each other and really discovering maybe for the first time that there's a purpose for your life. And one of the components of that conversation is something we call strongholds. And it's kind of a Jesus-y word. I mean, that's a little weird word. We don't use that word very often in regular speech. But a stronghold is essentially this. It's anything in our life that we could count as an obstruction from what God wants to do in us and through us. And what groups do in a moment of real tenderness, you know, this is the fifth week of that conversation together, and they start looking at each other and going, this is what's really in my life. And it is interfering with my ability to walk with God in a way that I want to. These are things that have happened to people. These are things that have been done to people. These are things that people don't know how to get free of. They are habits and secrets that they have not yet named. And for some of you, one of the things you have to be able to do is this, and it's the scariest thing, is to identify that thing and call it out. This is what it really is in my life. For some of you, it's a voice of discouragement that you've heard your entire life. For others of you, it is, a, it is something that happened to you I would say, for those, those of you who have experienced abuse and neglect in your life, let me just tell you for just a moment, it is critical that you understand the nature of that and call it what it is. It is not good. It is not just okay. Because it's in the past, because you've been able to function, doesn't make it okay. It's still really a big deal in your life. And you need to call it that. This is a big deal, and this, this was terrible. And then you need to call it out what it is, to write it down, to name it, and identify this was not an okay thing. God wants to bring that wall down because it is obstructing it is obstructing your ability to live a life of fullness what God calls what the Bible refers to as eternal life or full life or rich life not just someday when you die but for right now some of you have stories in your life of uh, of your own secrets that you're continuing to bury now and you know those things are in the way of your relationship with God and they're they're damaging your relationships with other people and you're going I got to deal with these things but I don't know what to do they are an obstruction and they're impossible. On your outline, you got a, um, a post-it note. What I want you to do is, you got a pencil, I think, when you came in. And what I want you to do, borrow a pencil or pen or someone's mascara or whatever you got to do. But I want you to write on that post-it note the word, the initials, Whatever it is in your life that is an obstruction or has been an obstruction or that voice that sometimes every so often, periodically, maybe not right now, but you know it comes back every so often and it starts shouting at you again, you, you, are, you will have an obstructed path and you will not get to where you want to go. I need you to write that down. Okay. Now, start writing right now. I'll tell you mine. Okay. 
Then you can see what I'm talking about. In my own life, what surprises me often is that I keep coming back to this one really insidious lie, and maybe you relate to this, is that I am and I believe myself to be an unlovable person. That whatever, whatever past has contributed to that, my whole, my present life is spent trying to prove that to not be true. And when, and when I consider what that means, that is an obstacle to me being a loving father. It is an obstruction for me being a loving husband. It's an obstruction for me being a good leader of a church. And so, that is an obstacle that I'm going to write down and place, place in a moment on that wall. So I'm going to have everybody do is write this down, write all these things down, and in a moment, I'm going to ask you to get up in a very real sense. I want you to identify with that thing that's an obstruction in our room. In case you didn't notice, it's right here. And I want you to place it on the wall during our response time. Now, granted, you don't have to put your name on it. Obviously, you can put, just put a scribble on it, whatever it is, but I need you to name it for yourself. I need you to identify that thing that is an obstacle in your life, and in a moment, we're all going to walk over and place them on the wall. Our whole group will respond. Okay? And it is between you and Jesus, and I want you to see the story of what God wants to bring down in your life and in our church in a moment. All right, so let's pray together. The band will come up. You'll get an opportunity to stand and do that in just a moment. Jesus, there are things in our lives that we hold on to that are just lies. Father, regardless of whatever we might think about Jesus, we might think he's a crazy person. We got dragged here today. That crazy person believed that whatever he gave up, whatever, he gave up everything, his body torn in two, because he loves us, because he wants us to live in full freedom, an unobstructed life, a full life that is with him. Jesus, we know there are things in our lives and in our hearts that need to be dealt with. Might we call them to mind now? Might we place them on this wall as an act of worship? We could live, at least for a moment, Father, in the hope, the very real hope of your victory over those things. Jesus, might we begin the journey of freedom from those obstructions, the old ones and the new ones, right now in this moment, Jesus. In your name, Father, amen. So here's what we'll do. Let's stand together. And there you can see why some of the, the there's, a little, there's pathways that are marked out for you on the floor, on the, on the passageway, on the, on the aisle right there. And just work your way to the wall. And when you're ready, walk over and place it on the wall, and we will sing and respond. After we do that, I'll have you come back to your seats, and I'll close the service out, all right? So let's sing, and let's place those things on the wall. Jesus, you endured my pain. Savior, you bore all my shame. All because of your love. Maker of the universe. Broken for the sins of the because of your love oh because of you
take a look at the wall. The wall is now adorned with the things that people want to see come down in their own lives. But the curtain separated the most holy place from everywhere else in the entire world because it was so much more holy. And now we get to walk into the throne room of God, the very holiest of holy of places because of Jesus, who removes all of these obstructions. Every one of them. Now when you look at the wall, I know everybody walk, nobody walks in and says, you know, I just love that there's a wall dividing the worship center. I just love that. It's just so, it's cool. I love that. I know nobody says that. But now you can hate it even more. Because what God wants to do is to bring that down. I think what I want to tell you right now, I want to, the, the church has done a phenomenal job of being gracious, you being the church. It's been a phenomenal job of being gracious with this wall. I, I, again, I'm going to tell you a story this, or an example. This is probably not appropriate, so... Bear with me. Don't tell the story again, okay? Um, I think about this wall for a second. I think about this wall like it's, um, it's your uncle at Thanksgiving who probably needs to be in recovery. And he's constantly saying inappropriate jokes to the kids. And he's constantly saying things to people that you're like, someone's got to deal with that guy. We've got to deal with this wall, guys. It's time in our church to see that come down. Literally, not just the not just the not just the post-it notes, but the wall that they're on. It's time we've we've endured it. We've been patient with Uncle Wally here <laughs> for a long time, but we got to take care of him. So we're gonna bring this down. You see, I, I heard a story not too long ago. Somebody said, "I'm sitting down at church and I'm I'm." You know, I'm, and someone sits next to me who I've been great friends with for a long time. And I said, oh, when did you start coming through? She said, oh, a year ago. And she goes, well, when do you come? To, do you usually come at the other service? No, I always come at this one. She goes, do you always sit on this side of the room? She goes, no, I always sit on the other side. Now, there's two friends who didn't even know they went to the same church because of Uncle Wally. <laughs> so here's the truth. This really does embody something that's more than just a room remodel. This is about us being a worshiping community that worships together 
It's about, you know, God does really, do, he really does remove obstacles and obstructions between not only himself and people, but himself, I mean, between people and each other. And this is an obstacle, and it needs to come down. And if you want to be a part of that journey, if you're like, man, I really want to see that come down, and I want to do something about that, I want to invite you to a couple things. One is, um, there is, there's a couple vision nights. We have, the, we have the dates on the screen. We have those ready to go. There's some vision gatherings. I'd love to include you if you want to be a part of those. Um, they are Thursday, March 5th, Friday, March 6th, and Sunday, uh, March 8th. You can write those down if you want to come hear about what that, what that would entail. If you're new with our church or if, you, or if you have a secret love for this wall, then those aren't for you. <laughs> but it's a, I'm going to invite you into a spiritual journey, one that's embodied in what you just did on this wall here, which is I'm going to I want to be a part of seeing this community be healed, be brought together. I want to see the church take its next steps, which means there's a financial ask for that. If you want to be a part of that, great. All of the, there's a card, looks like this, which is in a packet, which is in the back on your way out. You'll be able to pick up in a moment. If you want to be a part of it, great. The packet has a worksheet for you to kind of consider what that would look like, to prayerfully consider being a part of bringing down this wall. And some other, we'll talk about some more what that means next week as well. But um, I'd love to have you be a part of it. And we'd love to see that come down. We'd love to have a unified worship center like a proper church without a wall down the middle of it, all right? Because we believe that's what God intends to do in our own lives and in our own worship space, all right? So um, I'm gonna pray one more time, really briefly, because then we're gonna sing and then I gotta close us out, all right? So let's pray. Jesus, you are at work. We're surprised at the way that you work. We're shocked. Sometimes we're actually uncomfortable with the way in which you seem to move in our own lives, in our own hearts. But God, you know how to bring down any obstructions that would keep us from you any obstructions that would keep us from the fullest possible life, which is the life that you give us. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you in, in every way we know how, and we respond and we sing about your greatness because you are great. You have given us so many reasons. And so, Jesus, would you hear our prayer set to music as we sing, um, as we sing these songs? So, Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing together, and then I'll close us out in a moment. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. draws near 
And my time has come Still my soul sing your praise unending Ten thousand years and then forever so good to us, continues to be so good to us, and um, you know, I know there's a lot of stories that are on this wall now. They are, represent a lot of pain. Some of you may need to, you may have opened something up in your life. You need to maybe pray with someone after the service. Maybe you need to let us know by putting a prayer in the prayer wall, but we'd love to make sure that you get met here by someone who cares about you, get a chance to pray with someone. It'd be great for you to be able to do that. Um, but for those of you, again, who are interested in, in joining us in the journey to take this wall down and really begin to see God unify us as a worshiping community. Um, among some other things we want to make sure we we're able to do. Um, there's a packet in the back. You can grab that, take a look through it. You're not obligated to like, we're not taking your picture or making you sign up because you took a packet. If you're just interested, we're not chasing you down. We saw you take a packet and you're not, there's none of that. So don't worry. But if you want to learn more about it, great. You can check out those vision nights as well. Um, that information is in that packet as well. And so I'm um, excited for what God's going to do in the next, the next season of ministry here. He really is unleashing the impossible.